a Swiss asset management company with more than 900 employees across the world. It was a shock in that an organisation, you know, you've known for a long time, suddenly turns out to not be everything that you thought it was. Clients including financial advisors, private investors and institutions. For any company, if you lose one-fifth of your share price in a day, in a single few minutes of trading, then you're in trouble. Partnering with some of the most talented investment managers. Unfortunately, this is not uh, the first scandal and probably not uh, the last one. But on the 31st of July 2018, the annual results are released. Just seconds after, the head of their absolute return bond fund unit was suspended, waiting for the investigation. Now, as the scandal marks its four-year anniversary, we want to re-examine what actually happened and what, if anything, has changed since. Helping us with this are some big names in the scandal, including former employees Tim Hayward and Alex Friedman, as well as financial experts. This is GAM, Suspension of Disbelief. Welcome back to the second and final episode with myself, Neve Doyle, and Chris Slowly. This week, we'll be introducing you to two fund selectors, Paul Gambles, who is co-founder of MBMG Group in Thailand, and Pierre Molinero, who sits within the fund selection team of OFI Asset Management in Paris. We got their reactions to the scandal, what it means for absolute return bond funds as an asset class, as well as advice on how future situations can be prevented. We also touched on the importance of reputation and the long-term lessons from this type of misconduct. The crisis was undoubtedly a big shock for many of GAM's investors, even those who had stuck through their profit warnings and other concerns in the lead-up to Tim Hayward's suspension. We spoke to the pair about where they were at the time of the announcement and their initial reactions. First, we hear from Paul Gambles, who admits, while he didn't hold the funds directly, he was surprised by the news, especially as it concerned GAM's reliability. I guess it was, it was um, you know... A a shock in that um, an organization that has, you know, you've known for a long time and that has satisfied due diligence suddenly turns out to, you know, to not be, um, not be everything that you thought it was. I mean, like, I guess, anybody else who does due diligence, we had their, uh, their conflict of interest policy, you know, on file, tick the box to say we had it. And so it's, it's a shock when you find out that, um, you know, you've, um, you've gone to the effort of, uh, of obtaining somebody's uh, COI policy and, and then they're not actually following it. So, yeah, I guess, you know, it was, it was, um, it was, it was distressing to find out that, uh, that an organisation that we knew uh, and that we respected was, was you know, been found, or, or certainly at that stage suggested and subsequently found uh, to, be, uh, to be in breach. Pierre Molinero, however, wasn't as shocked when the announcement landed. Unfortunately, this is not uh, the first scandal and probably not the, the last one. <laughs> so <laughs> the issue was more, in my opinion, a question of reputation, uh, because what was very clear after that is that uh, GAM uh, had a couple of issues regarding uh, compliance rules and uh, managing conflict, conflict of interest. Although not uncommon, situations like this don't happen every day. We probably have one or two of these a year or every two years. So we asked them how they thought this one came to light and what it meant for those who watch the markets closely. 
Today, okay, if you look at um, asset management companies, they during the past 10 to 12 years, after the global financial crisis, definitely they change it, uh, they change uh, the, the things, how they manage uh, liquidity, risk management. Definitely, I, if we look back uh, before the financial crisis, definitely uh, portfolio managers were um, the stars and risk managers were really far from being the stars. Today, that's, in my view, completely different. Uh, and why? Because um, uh, managers are really scary about their reputation. Look, the problem with GAM is really a problem of reputation because they didn't really lose money for their clients. But the problem was that uh, a problem of conflict of interest, potentially, uh, a problem of liquidity, and more than that, in my view, they were not able to manage the issue internally. It was really highlighted in, in the newspapers in, in the summer uh, 2018, so close to 12 months later. In 12 months, you should be able to manage the, 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 this topic. And uh, first, what do you want to do? Do you want to punish or not the portfolio manager, so Tim Haywood? Uh, do you want to continue or not the same way of managing the portfolio? Uh, and because they, they had a lot of time to sell or started to sell uh, illiquid assets because of course it would have been very easier uh, to manage the crisis uh, with less a, a, a smaller part of illiquid assets in the portfolio so i think in my opinion if they managed they were able to manage properly the crisis at the beginning uh, it was really manageable for, for them and for clients, but uh, they were not able to do that. Why? I don't know. I don't know because wh what we what we know is that um, the, the funds managed by Tim Wood were a large contributor of PNL for the company, so it was probably one of the reasons, maybe the main reason. I don't know, but. Um, Yes, management has been, in my opinion, very weak about that. So what stands out there for me is the belief that the crisis, while a problem, was manageable. So it comes down to what did they do about it and the knock-on effects. Let's go back to Paul Gambles to find out what he thinks compounded the problems faced by the asset manager. My view was very clearly that, uh, that there was an awful lot of lack of transparency um, in, in a lot of absolute return bond funds that made it simply impossible for, for selectors to try to, you know, realistically calibrate the, the, the risks of those assets. I think that it was, a, it was a learning opportunity for anybody and for everybody. And, and um, you know, I think the, the idea that, um, you know, the, the two most extreme reactions of, um, you know, well, that's it. You know, everybody and everything at GAM is rotten to the core. We're never going to deal with them again. Or on the other hand, uh, it was only Tim Haywood. All the rest of the stuff is fine. I think either of those reactions would have been uh, would have been wrong. But they'd also have been, you know, missing the opportunity to to learn from this. So, um, you know, we've uh, we we spent 
We spent time um, on this as we did with you know H2O, which again, we had no exposure to and we were very, very negative about, but we, we spent a lot of time looking at what lessons to draw. And I suppose, um, you know, we, we, we've, probably drawn, we've probably drawn some lessons that are, um, they go a long way beyond GAM and they go a long way beyond, you know, the, the reputational aspects uh, of, of it for GAM. So, I mean, you know, one thing is, I, I guess it, it asks or it begs an awful lot of questions about the whole active versus passive debate in that, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to use active management, well, you're, you're probably going to use that in areas where um, that there is a greater opportunity to try to identify and exploit alpha. And when you get into areas where there are increasing amounts of alpha, you get into areas where, um, you know, market liquidity and market pricing sometimes might be, might be you know, less continuous, um, less transparent. Quick editorial note here. Paul has referenced the crisis that engulfed Bond House H2O literally one year after the GAM crisis. This took place in June 2019. There's are many differences with the GAM story, but one common thread. Do you know what your fund manager is doing? If you don't know what they're buying or their strategy, is the selector doing enough work? Is effectively what Paul is saying. Let's hear his full view and what it means for those on his side of the fence. I think for us, it, it raises a lot of questions about how we do due diligence specifically for active managers. I, I would say that you know any active managers, um, you know, would come more closely under the spotlight because of the fact that um, they they will more like are they more likely to be involved in markets and asset classes where uh, where there is you know some degree of um, nebulous uh, non-continuous pricing to the, one of the real issues here um, is, is that this is this is a systemic problem with a lot of the corporate funding market. Corporate funding doesn't operate to the level of transparency of equities or government bonds. And so, you know, the minute you get involved in, um, in anything to do with, with corporate bonds, even, even plain vanilla corporate bonds have a pricing discontinu discontinuity issue. But the minute you get into more, um, more arcane structures with, uh, with these kinds of assets, then the more issues you're going to face. And wherever you get investments in, you know, illiquid or partially illiquid assets, and that illiquidity feeds through to, to asset pricing, as it always does, then, um, then, you know, you're running the risk that you will have, um, you'll have another, um, you know, another H2O, another GAM, another Woodford. Um, while ever there, there are insufficient safeguards for dealing in illiquid, um, inadequately uh, or inadequate price mechanisms for assets, uh, then, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about this again and again. GAM might have resolved the issue, but there still was significant damage made, denting how some asset managers see GAM now. As we wrote in a long read on our website recently, reputational risk is a huge consideration in asset management. So we've got Paul and Pierre's final thoughts on what everyone should take away from the scandal. 
what it means for how they approach their jobs and roles, and what to watch out for for companies in the future. It seems that um, it seems that we don't learn in the long term. You know, maybe in the short term there's a reaction, but in the long term, you know, we seem to be um, we seem as a profession to uh, to to, to you know, be far too much like goldfish, and and by the time we've we've you know swum round another economic cycle. Well, all the same things that were, were wrong before uh, and went wrong and which people said, you know, never again. Frankly, we seem far too guilty of just, you know, repeating the same behaviour. We all need to learn the lessons from the past and add those to much, much better models that we have today. For a, a large, very large part of the companies, if the manager have choice between uh, P&L, PNL, not performance, PNL and reputation, they will choose reputation first. So, uh, in my opinion, for 99% of companies, they will choose reputation first. Because when you are an asset manager, what do you sell to clients? In my view, you sell two things. The first one is performance, of course, and the second one is um, confidence. And what do I mean by confidence? It's the ability to give money back, first one. And the second one is to respect uh, engagement. If you lose confidence of your of your clients, you lose everything. You know, we don't. <laughs> um, I don't know. We are not uh, automakers. We just yeah sell performance and confidence. If you lose confidence, you, you you lose everything. So need to be very careful with that. And as you mentioned, you need a lot of time to 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 gain confidence, but you could you can lose it very very quickly. So there we have it. But where does GAM stand today? So filling the gaps between the end of 2019 and where we are now in the summer of 2022, there's been a whirlwind of change in the years since. Hayward and Friedman left in the same year, of course. But after some major reconstruction work, David Jacob gave up his interim seat to former BlackRock man Peter Sanderson. That was in the summer of 2019. Since then, Sanderson has increased drastic cost-cutting measures and even managed to offload the liquid debt housed in the absolute return fund. However, during the recording of the series, we were availed of FCA documents following the UK regulators investigation into what happened. These highlighted the alleged wrongdoing leveled at Hayward and GAM as a company. These are the documents that expanded on fines issued to GAM and Tim Hayward in December 2021, which saw the company fined in excess of 10 million euros and Hayward personally fined more than 230,000 euros. But what else did they show? It's almost a case of what they didn't show. A Hayward's too close relationship with Greensill and Sanjeev Gupta's GFG, a name which has appeared in the background of a lot of the reporting, that was quite prominent. The steel company, GFG, was one area where Hayward was found to be buying a lot of debt and it was heavily interlinked with Greensill and its supply chain financing operations. In the documents, it was found that Hayward had accepted gifts, taken trips on private planes, signed off documents without correct oversight, and heightened the risk of Hayward breaking conflict of interest disclosures. Importantly and legally, the FCA said there was no evidence that these actions, these gifts, influenced his investment, but they raised the risk, which was the concern. So, without sounding too much like a school science experiment, what did we learn? I think there are a number of common threads from the various people we spoke to, as well as Paul and Pierre, who we heard from today. At the top of the list is a simple question. Is the product you're investing in transparent enough? And even if you're comfortable it is, are you 100% sure there are processes in place to avoid any problematic conflicts of interest? Paul made reference to having a physical copy of GAM's COI document prior to the scandal, so it's not a foolproof mechanism by any means. Ultimately, you can protect against a certain level of malfeasance, but there will always be exceptions that prove the rule. 
There are also questions around a favorite topic among fund selectors, star managers, and key man risk. I know GAM has done a lot of work in the intervening period to stress team approaches and group work, which is the way the industry is headed. The sad state of affairs, though, is even this year we've seen DWS's offices raided, three Alliance fund managers under investigation and facing extensive jail time for misleading US pension funds, and those are the ones we know about. To end on a more positive note, I think people are becoming wiser to these concerns. Measures being introduced, regulations are tightening. And as one selector said to me off the record, there's only so much buying insurance after a fire can actually help. So people are doing the work now to ensure that they're not the ones caught out. Thank you for listening to the final episode of GAM, Suspension of Disbelief. If you haven't listened to episode one, you can do so now on Spotify. And for more reading, head to CityWire Selector, where you can find all of Chris's articles spanning back to the year it began.